my video on Sonic Riders, I mentioned being distraught about the game not conveying its mechanics well enough. Once you go out of your way to learn how everything works, mastering the nuances of the air management system can prove to be an absolutely enticing and rewarding experience. It's not something that's going to click immediately, but when it does, it's great. But even then, outside of the game's story mode, there isn't much for you to do unless you can somehow get a friend into the game, or you start speedrunning it. When talking about a sequel, there are so many different things that a Sonic Riders 2 could improve upon. That's why I was cautiously optimistic going into Sonic Riders Zero Gravity. Sonic Team had just entered a rough patch for the franchise, wherein they needed to listen to feedback in order to increase brand value. Otherwise, the shadow of Sonic 06 would be cast over them indefinitely. Listening to feedback is how we got the daytime levels of Sonic Unleashed, and finally, Sonic Colors. Sonic Team were willing to hone in on a more focused experience that wouldn't get too big for its britches. With this mindset, I was ready for this game to streamline the concepts of the first game, and create something more accessible without sacrificing its hidden mechanical depth. I knew it was possible. And now it's time to find out how Sonic Team handled things this time around. I'm Liam Triforce, and this is Sonic Riders Zero Gravity. Okay, first thing to check out. Tutorial? Tutorial. An actual, playable tutorial. Thank God. It's good to know they listened on that front. If you recall, Sonic Riders didn't really teach you anything outside of a shallow tutorial video that barely scratches the surface of how the game controls. You learn how to jump higher off of ramps, ride turbulence, kind of, and what the skills are for each type of rider. All of this makes the game playable, but it certainly doesn't communicate everything. There are nuances to Sonic Riders that the tutorial video doesn't even bother mentioning. For example, it barely scratches the surface of why air consumption and regeneration are integral parts of the game's design. Managing and replenishing air efficiently is important to going fast in every race, as you'll always need a reserve for boosting and burning air when drifting and launching off of ramps. Keeping your air at an acceptable level is what gives the game a sense of urgency, and makes for an exhilarating experience. It requires you to master mechanics and optimize your routes through tracks to maintain a steady flow of air regeneration. Sometimes the fastest option might not be the safest because you'll burn a ton of air. All of this is up to you to discover. But that's exactly what turned off a large majority from Sonic Riders. Video games should be pick up and play, and if there are complexities to the game that designers want you to discover, they should be designed to be discovered organically without immense practice. That's the game's fatal flaw. This time the game lays things out for you plain and simple. You get to learn how each system works, and then they test you on your understanding of each system by putting you on a time limit. The only thing that isn't clarified is what the stats mean, once again. Let's go over this and see why this is such a big problem. What do you think limit means? Perhaps that's the limit of the GP gauge? No, it actually means top speed. What about dash? It means acceleration. And power? It signifies a character or gear's off-road capabilities. Curve is pretty self-explanatory at least, but why do they have to use the worst wording imaginable? This was a big problem in the first game and they still haven't tried to fix it here. Other than that though, having a playable tutorial is a very good thing. Let's discover what can happen in a single race this time around. Returning from the first game is the whole starting line mechanic, and I'm glad it came back. It was a great way to immediately establish a repository of air by taking a risk. You needed to be going fast and you needed to just barely clear the wall of electricity to maximize your air bonus. But if you go too fast, you crash into a wall, don't get a bonus, and start after everyone else. There's the risk. And that's a lot of fun. The quick start functions identically here, 
and it contributes towards gravity points instead of air. Sonic Riders Zero Gravity completely replaces the air meter with these gravity points that allow the player to manipulate gravity in order to complete races. Sounds pretty cool, right? Well, in theory, yes, and it can be cool, but Zero Gravity is filled to the brim with missteps based on its decision to streamline mechanics and go easy on the player overall. Allow me to attempt to explain myself here. First off, the gravity drift. By holding B and tilting the control stick at a turn, you'll be able to stop on a dime and turn sharply, and the longer you hold the button, the more GP you burn. After releasing the drift, you can utilize a short burst of speed to help you catch up. Yeah, so it functions similarly to the drift mechanic from the previous game, but it's much easier to understand now. In the original, you had to be turning before you hit the R button, and you also had to be going fast enough for the drift to even register, otherwise you'd break. Now, as soon as you hit the B button, everything stops around you so you can turn. No bullshit. This simplification of the same core idea is welcome, and it fits in with the theme of the game. You can even perform this maneuver in mid-air, and this can allow you to latch onto designated walls. Pretty rad. There is an overarching issue with the gravity drift that comes from the game's desire to be accessible. And that's the lack of skill that comes with drifting in this game. Racing games similar in practice to Sonic Riders often have some kind of compelling drifting mechanic that makes mastering the game's controls rewarding. Crash Team Racing, for example, practically revolves around its drifting. You are forced to plan out the trajectory of your turns ahead of time, and ride out each mini-boost for as long as possible to maximize the amount of speed you gain from said boosts. You time your R1 presses just right and you can gain an insane amount of speed. It's an emphatically satisfying system, and mastering it makes going for the insanely difficult challenges in the single player mode seem feasible. But here, it's relegated to an easy method of turning corners. Nothing else. Even the original game, despite having a relatively simple drifting mechanic, could still be utilized in interesting ways. Something I did subconsciously while turning corners was slightly pressing the right trigger repeatedly in order to inch my way around. I wouldn't get a speed boost this way, but this method of turning allowed me to maintain my speed and make sharper turns. This took skill, but it was rewarding, and it saved me a lot of air. Here I'm simply making a turn because if I don't I'll hit a wall. That's all this mechanic amounts to in practice, and that's what makes it feel automated. Now automation is Zero Gravity's biggest issue that feels persistent throughout each track. The game is heavy on set pieces, but they're not skill driven like last time. Here's what I mean. Sonic Team implemented a pseudo-replacement for the boost known as the Gravity Dive. It'll constantly burn GP the longer you use it, but if you bounce off of surrounding debris, you can replenish your meter for a brief period of time. This sounds cool, but other than that it's just a replacement for the boost with a twist. The slow startup makes it cumbersome, but the payoff is worth it. The boost wasn't something that needed to be replaced, but the developers at least implemented something that made sense contextually and had a neat feature. The only problem? While you can use the gravity dive to reach certain shortcuts easily, it feels extremely situational. Like, you can use it to shave off time in short corridors, but you won't be able to regain GP. It feels like a gimmick and nothing more. Just another way to make you feel like you're doing something cool. But there are a million other ways to shave off time and regain GP that are expected of you. For example, much like the first game, you can take alternate routes depending on which extreme gear you're using. For context, you see this turn here in Babylon Garden? I could hop on the rail, or I could time a drift correctly and then boost to beat the rail. I make this decision based on how much air I have left, because while the rail replenishes my air, it's much slower. This split-second decision-making is what made the track design and mechanics of the original game so compelling. In Zero Gravity, these alternate paths are almost always faster and they're expected to be traversed if you want a better overall time. Even if you were to gravity dive through straightforward paths alongside people taking their alternate routes, you'd all end up in the same place in the same amount of time. The only difference? You'd be low on GP, 
and they wouldn't be. This further reaffirms my stance that the level design and mechanics in this game were oversimplified, and leads to gameplay that feels automated. Take a look at this. There are two paths to take as a speed type in Crimson Crater. If you jump on this rail, you don't have to press anything, and you'll get to your destination in less time than it takes everyone else. I even timed it to make sure I wasn't talking out of my ass. The game is rewarding you for collecting rings and unlocking the gear, yes, but it's giving me roughly 8 seconds to put the controller down and just watch as I catch up to everyone else by jumping on a rail. And once again, paths that are meant for GP regeneration should not be faster than the regular route. You need to be able to make a decision based on what you want to prioritize in the moment. But you know what? Scenarios like that don't come about very often anyway because I always have a backstock of GP just waiting to be used. This is why speedrunners use the gravity dive to completely ass-tear their way through levels. Because they can expend the GP to do so, and then immediately gain it all back via the many opportunities the game gives you. In the first game, air would decrease over time, the boost was useful but consumed a significant amount of air, drifting costs air, and even jumping off of ramps costs air. And if you don't stick the landing, that costs you even more air and your speed. Here, the gravity dive can be used to regain all of your GP in certain situations. Drifting is only useful in very specific situations. Your GP only depletes when you use it, and jumping off of ramps is the most laughably easy way to regain it all in this game. For comparison, in the first game you needed to balance speed, holding A, and timing in order to perform an optimal jump. All while not burning too much air. Then you needed to perform a flurry of tricks and stick the perfect landing in order to maintain your speed and gain back a ton of air. This took skill to master, but it was satisfying to utilize. In Zero Gravity, you press A at the right time and the game gives you GP. Even something as simple as Mario Kart had you mastering tricks. Even when you perform the trick with the right timing, you still have to control your speed boost by steering yourself back on course. The only time I remember the game encouraging me to recover GP was in the Mobius Strip level. It was required of you in order to make it to the boss and deal a blow to it. I want more of a sense of urgency from this game, but it's not delivering. It results in a lack of engagement. That reminds me of something even more crucial to racing games. Consistent engagement. Under no circumstances should I ever have the opportunity to put the controller down and let the game play itself. Just like in real life, even though you think you can check your phone while driving, you can't. You need to always be focused on the road. Most racing games always have some way to improve your run through tracks. Most kart racers have a drifting to keep your speed up. Even on straight paths, if you maneuver correctly, you should still be able to drift and boost to your heart's content. Yeah, driving straight is safe, but there's always a way that you can stay on top of the race. Or if it's not drifting, even racing sims employ consistent engagement. You have to plan your movements ahead of time due to the control simulating the handling of an actual car. This kind of consistent engagement was elevated in the original Sonic Riders through a constantly draining air meter, as we discussed, and a drive to balance air consumption, air regeneration, speed, and leveling up. But in Zero Gravity, there are so many moments that require little to no input from the player. Moments where hopping on a rail and waiting is faster than timing a drift correctly. Moments where using a gravity dive is slower than just moving in a straight line for a bit. Moments where you just have to press the A button at the right times in order to regain an insane amount of GP. It's ridiculous. Now if you still don't understand where I'm coming from, perhaps looking at speedruns of both games will help you understand why I'm disappointed with Zero Gravity's lack of mechanical depth. Let's compare this speedrun of Sonic Riders to the speedrun of Sonic Riders Zero Gravity. Let's take a look at how advanced play can be a fun and rewarding experience. So for starters, here's a speedrun of Metal City, performed by speedrun.com user Sewer56. They perform a fast start and immediately burn air while making an extremely tight drift. This grants them a speed boost, but they burn even more air as they charge a jump. 
their tank gets dangerously low. However, this charge, combined with the speed they've maintained, allows them to make it to the shortcut up above. They also know there's a level 3 capsule there, which will grant them a maxed out air tank, thus allowing them to expend as much air as they possibly can to keep their speed up. The rest of the race involves tight drifting and well-executed jumps in order to both save and regain air. They aren't performing those pinpoint drifts like they did earlier because that would burn air really quickly. They still need to be smart in order to perform optimally. Let's compare this with a speedrun of Zero Gravity by speedrun.com user Blastkun. I understand that the gravity dive can allow you to completely skip certain sections of levels like I mentioned before, but glitches like these were never intended to be discovered, and it sure speaks to the lack of polish this game faces. Then again, the original game had glitches like this, so whatever. The parts of the run without glitches, like Meteor Tech Premises, look alarmingly similar to my casual run, the only major differences being alternate routes found through the gravity dive. And that's pretty cool, I'll admit, but the point is, advanced tech just doesn't exist in Sonic Rider Zero Gravity like it did in the original, nor is it required of you. Now both of these speedrunners have both practiced significantly to get their respective times. I'm not trying to devalue their efforts. Believe me, I've done speedruns before and I know how much work it takes to get a good time. My criticisms are directed towards the mechanics of Zero Gravity, because they don't have the depth that the original game's mechanics did. If Sonic Riders was difficult to learn and difficult to master, Zero Gravity is easy to learn and easy to master. Because outside of what the game expects of you, there's nothing to learn outside of certain shortcuts. And once you figure those shortcuts out, you've basically mastered the entire game. You'll be performing the same actions over and over again, whereas there was a lot of room for error in the first game with its constantly decreasing air tank and risky boost mechanic. Sonic Riders Zero Gravity, to me, is a very shallow game, and its actual content can't even distract me from that. The mission mode can acquaint you with some shortcuts, but other than that, it's a damn repetitive mode, similar to how it was in the first game. The AI in the story mode is so easy to beat that my jaw was on the floor. They perfectly exemplify what is wrong with this game. If I shouldn't have to expend any effort to beat them, why should I bother expending the effort to learn? Challenge is at the heart of any video game, right? There are cool moments in this game's level design too, like the turns in Crimson Crater that require you to hover over pits, the cool shortcut at the beginning of 80's Boulevard, and the entirety of the Snowy Kingdom. But once you master the shortcuts available in these levels, all that's left is a feeling of emptiness. Every race after that will feel exactly the same because there's nothing else to learn, and there's rarely any room for error once you know what you're doing. It'd be nice if there was more player interaction that could sway the results of a race. You can attack other players, but it's highly uncommon that you'll come across an item that allows you to do that. That's why races boil down to one player just being better at shaving off seconds than the others, which is boring. Meanwhile, in the first game, boost into enemies and completely fuck them over. You had a way to counteract this by creating a tornado, too. Burns a lot of air, but stops other players from setting you back a level and slowing you down. This is all organic interaction, and doesn't even rely on RNG like items do in kart racers. It relies solely on skill and timing. It's an interesting take on competition in a racing game that I don't see often. Yeah, I'm gonna stop myself there. If you couldn't already tell, I was thoroughly disappointed with Sonic Rider Zero Gravity. Look. If you don't like the first game but love the second game because it's easier to get into, I completely understand. There is a lot to like about this game. But as someone who mastered Sonic Riders, this is the exact opposite of what I wanted in a sequel. I have a feeling Sonic Team heard that the first game had too steep a learning curve, and rather than easing players into a mechanically rich game, they decided to dumb everything down instead. I applaud the concept they came up with. It's definitely interesting and can be fun under certain circumstances. It's a shame that it wasn't utilized as effectively as it could have been. I'd like to say third time's the charm with Sonic Riders, but Sonic Free Riders happened. 
So, never mind. Sonic racing games do seem to be in a better place now thanks to Sumo Digital, but Sonic Riders was a truly unique game that I'm sad we'll probably never be able to see again. I'd like to see the gameplay of the original game iterated on, or a more involved take on this game's concept, because there were steps forward here. I didn't even mention the gear changing mechanic yet. That was a smart way to encourage player choice, as you could unlock gears non-linearly. You can prioritize what's most important to obtain first. This is a small example, and we'll never be able to see the series' potential fully realized. <sighs> well, even with all my bitching over Sonic Rider Zero Gravity's missed potential, there is one element of the game that shines brighter than anything else. And that, by a thousand miles, is the soundtrack. It's not just good by Sonic the Hedgehog standards, it's some of the best music I've heard in the medium, and it heightened whatever enjoyment I could find in this game. It dynamically changes depending on your actions, so if you pull off a successful gravity drift, the percussion might ramp up. Or if you gravity dive, you might hear some more pronounced strings. It's a cross between, say, Sonic Unleashed Orchestral Rock and the original Sonic Riders soundtrack. A match made in heaven for sure, and it symbolizes the gravity of the game's core conceit. See what I did there? It's fantastic. The vocal tracks have the corny lyrics you'd expect out of this series, but I'll be damned if I didn't want to sing along. But Rock and Sonic has always been like that. Live and learn, city escape, open your heart, you know what I'm talking about. They aren't gonna break new ground in the genre, but they sure are entertaining and fit perfectly with the vibe that Sonic gives off. But Zero Gravity's vocal tracks are so unlike anything the series had up to this point. Thanks to the unique blend of instrumentation I discussed earlier, it welcomes some really awesome compositions. Catch Me If You Can even has a bit of hip-hop thrown in thanks to Rumblebee spitting fire. God, I'm so white. The lyrics are hilarious, of course. Don't hedge, don't hog, you're put to the test. Like Jet as Hawk, I'll rattle your nest. <laughs> come on, man. Really? But you know what? I love them. Songs like this are a big part of why I love Sonic music after all. And lyrically, it's certainly a step up from Okay, anyway, I'm gonna sing this song now. This video is trash. Thanks for watching! Yeah! 2019! Here we go! This song is hot garbage. You know what? Most Sonic music is like this. And I can't get enough of it. So here we go. Catch me if you can. No turning back, we were born to dream In a world full of seeing what we never could reach It's our mix on a winner beat Like life right by just to blur you see One mind, two wild, stuck in divinity Hocktail, wing claw, heaven sent a jesse A speed rush tweak to a melancholy victory A chance don't stand No one near my class of heat the rule of the wind is to never get beat Don't hedge, don't hog, you're put to test Like jet as hawk, I'll rattle your nest I never come down, I'm high alone Bred from a genie with wings and throne Jet fire hawk, the sky is me All for speed, I was born to be Born to be, born to be Catch me if you can There's no turning back Reach but never catch Catch me if you can You can fathom that Wonders you can't have Catch me if you can